I did three weeks on James chapter one. Do you remember that? Uh, if you were here for one or two or three of those weeks, you'll probably remember. And, uh, and James, the brother of Jesus, was speaking to a particular group of people. He was speaking to people who were scattered, uh, that they, they had become Christian, they had embraced Christ, um, and they had scattered outside of Jerusalem. But the problem that he was addressing was that they looked and sounded and behaved like everybody else did. So, so they had become Christians and they were in Jerusalem. They had come to faith in Christ and then they had gone to wherever, wherever they wanted to in order to make work for themselves or start a family in a different area. And there was just no difference. It would have been next to impossible to say this one was a Christian and this one was a Greek and this one was a uh, whatever. And, uh, and so he thought there's something wrong here. And so James's book is just incredibly practical. He's saying, this is what your life should look like, and this is what it does look like. So here's, here, I'm writing this. And you know, it wasn't a book. It was just a letter. And it was a letter that would have circulated from church to church to church to church, and they would have rewritten it and sent it and read it in front of the church, like, uh, you know, like it was someone, like almost, you know, coming down, and uh, someone would read it from the front and say, this is what James is saying. Now, James is someone you can take seriously. James was... Uh, around. He was with Jesus. He was an eyewitness. He was someone that saw and felt, and uh, he was there for everything that happened. And he never believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Until what? Until his brother was alive again. Until he resurrected. That was the first time that James said, oh my word, I was wrong. (coughs) My brother is... (laughs) the Messiah. I don't like to brag, but here he is. Um, And that was the first time. But here's someone who knew Jesus. If anyone knew Jesus, it was James. And he walked with him and and obviously spoke with him and and, uh, did family with him. And and, uh, so this is someone we can take seriously. But he was addressing this issue and he wrote this letter, which is, I think, four chapters, if I'm not mistaken. And he wrote these four chapters. It's not a lot, but he said, Get these into the churches because they are not living the way that people who follow Christ, people who proclaim to be Christians are living. So here's a letter. Give this to them. This is going to help them. But it's very, do this. Don't do this. Do this. Say this. Don't say this. And so uh, James chapter 1 was speaking about persevering under trial. You're going to be, you're going to struggle, but you're going to push through. You must push through all these things. And um, I'm going to skip for now James chapter 2 and move straight on to James chapter 3. I'll probably come to James chapter 2. Um, I'm not the best at systematic stuff, but I'll get there, okay? But we've done one and we're going to do three. Maybe we'll do two and four at some other stage. Um, but I just felt that this was something to share this morning. So, watch your mouth. Ugh, it's disgusting, isn't it? It's a long time. Do you know that... You might have heard this being said before, but men speak roughly 7,000 words a day, and women speak roughly 20,000 words a day, and most of the husbands are going, yes, they do. Yes, they really do. And, you know, just in line with that, there's a proverb I read, and it says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I'm just joking. I'm not picking on the chicks, but that, that is true. Um, okay. 
So it's an interesting thought that. But the bottom line is that we all talk, and we all talk quite a bit. Um, I don't think often we realize the power of the words we have and how they actually, words, how they shape the way that we live and the way that people around us live, experience things, understand things. You know, it's words that mobilize people. It's just words that are strung together in good sentences spoken by certain people that can, that can rally whole nations and let them do great things or terrible things. It's words. That's the bottom line. Someone stands up and he tries to put the thoughts of the nation, the sentiment of the nation into sentences. And he says it and people say, that's what I've been feeling. And then they follow that guy. And sometimes it ends up in an absolutely horrific way. And sometimes it ends up in a much better way. But the bottom line is that words have an incredible power. So I want to address that. And James chapter 3, it's 12 verses, very short. But we're going to look through this. I'm going to read the, the verse, the, all the verses, and then I just want to pick it apart a little bit because I just love the imagery that James uses. Man, that's disgusting. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's read this together. If you've got your Bible, you can, you can read there, but I'll be reading from the <coughs> New Living Translation. James chapter 3, these are the first six verses. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your, your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. These are some hectic words here. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless... I think there's an extra word there. It is... It is oh, sorry. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So, as you can hear, James is very blunt. He's very direct. Um, he's now using his tongue um, to attempt to build and correct and rebuke and shape and chisel um, the people of God who didn't even look like the people of God anymore. So he understands what he's talking about. But what I pick out from, from these verses here is three things that we need to use our tongues for. So I hope you find this more than helpful. I hope you find that this changes the way that you think when you talk. And I'm not saying that we are like those people who blend in uh, or who blended in back then in the first century. Um, but sometimes... If we had to be honest, we are kind of like that. And, uh, you know, if you're not in your normal context, uh, your tongue can do different things. Um, but when you're in your church context, um, your tongue is normally under control. But it's a, it's, isn't it true that sometimes when you go back to your normal environment, those things are not 
kept as much under control as when you are with certain people or in certain situations. So, first thing, lead. We need to use our tongues to lead. And his imagery is just brilliant. Because in the first place, he talks about a bit. Now that's leading, that, that is leading ourselves. And that is crucially important. Your mouth leads the rest of your body and the mouth leads other people. For me, I see the bit as being leading yourself and the rudder as being leading other people because there are people on a ship. And, um, and James compares our tongue. Now, most people here know horses a lot better than I do. Um, I had to look up that picture to find out what a bit is, actually. That's the, that's the truth of the situation. I knew it had something to do with the mouth of, of a horse. Um, but now it makes sense to me. But he compares our tongue to a bit that you put in the mouth of a horse and to a rudder. Why these things? Well, for obvious reason. They're both very small. But one controls the incredible power of a horse. Just that tiny thing inside of its mouth, and the other controls a huge, powerful ship. And comparatively, now you look at that rudder and you say, well, that's a big rudder. But if you look at the ship, the rudder doesn't look so big. It's tiny comparatively, and our tongues are exactly the same. They are small proportionately, physically proportionately to our whole body. But they, James is saying, our tongue actually controls our whole body. So how is that possible? He says that if we can control what we say, we're actually mature and we can control everything else about ourselves. That's quite a claim. I don't know about you. I feel like he may be oversimplifying things a little bit here. I'm like, if I can control my tongue, I can control everything about myself. And he's saying, yeah, everything. If you can just control that, every part of you can be under control and submitted. So I think he's oversimplifying, but... As I mentioned before, we need to remember that James has seen a perfect example of this. How many times could Jesus have defended himself when he was being wrongly accused, when he was being beaten, when he, was, when, when he had lies said about him? How many times could he have come out fighting with his mouth? And James must have just wanted to fight for him because Jesus never did. He never defended himself. He never fought back. He never even tried to contradict the lies. He never tried to do anything like that. He just, he just, in a way, took it. And I can imagine James getting so upset, but Jesus just being fully in control of the situation just because he could control his tongue. How many times, on the other hand of that, did Jesus use his words to heal people and to set them free? Now, James saw that firsthand. So he's seen Jesus control his tongue, and then he's seen Jesus give life by the power of the words that came out of his mouth. So James is right. Control the tongue, everything else follows. Leadership. I said that the first thing here is to lead. Has anyone got a a really nice definition of leadership? Anything that you'd like to share quickly? A good definition. Leading. Leading your ship. Well, I suppose in this instance, yes, it could be that. (laughs) 
Bill Hybel says this. Bill Hybel is a senior pastor of a church in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Where is he? And um, in Willow Creek there. And, um, and he says this. His definition is simple. Now, I know there's a million definitions of leadership, but I really like his one. And this is it. Leadership is influence. That's it. If you are influencing people, you are leading people. If people are looking up to you, you are leading people. If you have influence in their lives, you are a leader. And so that's his simple definition of leadership. And these spheres of influence, now this is a kind of a generic uh, image here, but I think it nicely highlights spheres of influence in our own lives and, and how we start with ourselves, partner, children, extended family, friends, neighbors, employers, schools, um, government, social networks, all that. We have specific spheres of influence. And even within that, I would even go as far as to say that, that yeah, that we have, we have a defined role in all of those spheres. And, and the interesting thing about, about spheres of influence is that nobody has yours. You're the only person who has the, the influence that you have um, where you're at. You're the only person who's teaching at that school. You're the only person with this, this group of friends around you. You're the only person who interacts with your church group in this way. You're the only person in the worship team who does this. We, we all have, but it's very specific and it's very personal. And I think it's an important thing to understand because if you don't understand spheres of influence and that you've been placed in a certain position on purpose for a reason, you can tend to think that you're going along life and you're just drifting. And like, what am I doing here? I'm just killing time. I'm just going to wait until this happens. But, but you've actually got a sphere of influence over here that you're not going to have as soon as you step into the next thing. And so we don't waste time and kill time before we get to other things. Where we're at is exactly where God can use us. And our spheres of influence are heavily important. I do speak about that a bit, but it's because I believe that those are important things. And no one has yours. No one has the influence in the people's lives around you that you have. And so we need to recognize that and understand that. Um, as Christians, I really believe we should have influence in our spheres. It's not about being a big shot leader or anything like that or being in some high profile job. You can literally, and we've seen this in her testimonies of this, you can be in prison and have influence. You can be in prison and make a difference. Even in that situation, whether it's right or wrong or, or you got there by mistake or you got there uh, unjustly or you got there because you deserved it. It's true that even though you're in that situation, you can have influence. You can be a leader. You can, you can affect the people that are around you like no one else can. So what does that have to do with what James is saying? He's saying that your mouth leads you and it leads other people. All of us have people that look up to us, that are waiting for us to speak, that are waiting for us to lead. And we need to use that carefully. As parents, we need to be very careful about the way that we use our tongue in leading our children, when we discipline them, when we encourage them. Even as children towards our parents, we have to be very intentional and very careful about the way that we use our tongue. Social media, we have to be very careful about the way we use our keyboard, which is our tongue in that sort of sense. We need to be careful about those things. Because there are people, your sphere in that sense might be, you know, 50 friends or it might be 2,000 friends. 
Um, it doesn't matter. But the point is, when you do something, people see it. And what are they seeing? And that makes a big difference. We are leading people, whether we like it or not. Our spheres of influence are affected by us. And so we need to lead diligently and we need to lead well with our tongues. Because it just is such a small thing, but it directs the power of a horse. It directs the course of a ship, even if the winds, winds are strong. It's making sense. Let's go to the next thing very quickly. Um, so the first thing with our tongues is to lead. The second is to build. Those don't look like pictures of building. But let me see here what James is saying. Do you remember the images that he used there? He, uses, he actually switches to, to negative imagery. He goes from a ship and a horse, and he moves to fire and poison. I don't know if you, if you noticed that while he was talking there. Um, and to describe the damage we can do with our words. And I would say that it is absolutely true that it's not our circumstances. When the circumstances are rough, those are not nearly as difficult as when negative words have been spoken into our lives. That, that's a different level of, of, um, of difficulty and of struggle. Uh, a lot of us have gone through difficult things and circumstances that have happened, but, um, but words somehow, haven't you found that? Seem to carry a, they seem to last longer than the circumstances. The circumstance can be over, but the words are still there. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that. They have the power to keep us small and limited. You know, I just get so angry, actually, I do, when I hear parents talking to their children in the way of like, yes, why can't you just? You're not good enough. Why can't you just be like this person? This person does so well. Man, your sister's so good at this. How come you can't just get this thing right? And I think, yes, those things just live in a kid. That, that just takes root, and that will just be there for ages. That'll need like a couple of grands worth of counseling later on, or the Holy Spirit to just say, be done. Because the words last so much longer. You're stupid. You're a loser. Teachers who say you're not good enough. You'll never be anything. You're ugly. Oh, you can, look at that hair of yours. Oh, well, that just lives with someone. That doesn't go away. And these things, they eat at you. And, and isn't it true? And we know this. And I'd be very surprised if there's anyone in here who said they haven't felt like this at some point. The power, the destructive power that words can have in your life. Just someone saying something, it can be a throwaway comment for them, but you just internalized it. And it just lives there. And you don't want, to be, you don't want anyone to see that part of you again in case they also, also comment. James knows what he's talking about. They have the power to keep us small and limited. So we've got to be careful about what we say and also when we're saying it. We need to know ourselves well enough that when we are emotional or tired, words will come out that you sometimes wish didn't come out. When you are under stress, words come out that shouldn't come out. I'll be completely honest with you. Yesterday... What, what day was yesterday? Saturday. It was Friday. I went to go have my car washed in Cape Town. I didn't go there to have it car washed. <laughs> They've just got the best soap there, you know, so I just went and I thought I'd just have it done and bring it back here. Um, no, I was in Cape Town and I wanted to have my car washed. And, um, and, and this lady started getting very edgy, very edgy, and, and like all sorts of weird stuff was coming out of her mouth and was directed at me. And, um, and 
And it's a little embarrassing, but I was like, who are you? Why are you talking to me like this? I mean, I was getting angrier, and, and I had to do everything in my power to, to just like turn around, just ignore, just ignore. I was like, where is this coming from? But she was like, anyway, I mean, it's, it's not even worth repeating, but it was, it, was, it was totally out of the blue, a complete stranger at the car wash waiting for her car to be washed as well. And um, anyway, so it was, but I, I, was, I started entering the conversation. That's my point, is that I was like, you know, I was tired. I'd been driving the whole day before. I didn't have a lot of sleep, and I was like, no, listen. <laughs> And then I just had to, okay, okay, control the tongue. So it's a good thing. So if nothing else, the message has helped me this morning. So, but, but that is an honest thing. And, and I know I'm not going into a lot of detail there, but it was just totally random and, and weird. Um, but anyway, the point of it is, is that these, these words have massive power. And when we say words is critical. We need to know when we're in a space not to say things. When it's not okay. When it's not a good idea to send a text. Uh, because it's late at night and uh, emotions are high or things are tense. We need to know those things about ourselves and show restraint because those are the times that real damage can be done. And the problem is the damage you do with your words often does its most damage once the situation is resolved. But the words stay there and they they continue to eat. And I want to read that scripture that I read earlier on because I'm, I said it in a funny way, but it actually is a true word. Um, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. That is so important. This lady was running off her mouth. I mean, she was going at it. And, and this scripture, I was like, man, if there was a scripture for you, this is it. You just need to keep quiet. Um, but, but that's the thing. And the more she spoke, the more aggressive she got and the more uh, she believed what she was saying. <laughs> and, uh, and it just wasn't helpful. And careless words, careless words are like toothpaste and you cannot get them back in. You just can't. Once the toothpaste is out, I challenge you to try and get it back in the tube. It just is a very difficult and a messy experience. And you cannot take words back. That is the unfortunate thing about them. That's why before we say them, that's when we need to put a guard on our mouth. After we say them, it's sometimes a little bit tricky to do that. And Jesus said something which is, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not true. It's just hectic what Jesus said about careless words. You want to you hear it? This is Jesus now. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Why does he say that? Jesus obviously understands the power of words and the power of careless words thrown out at the wrong time to the wrong people or in the wrong context or in the wrong setting. I mean, this is hectic. Don't ask me to explain this or go into the depth of this or what Jesus really meant by this. Let's just take it at face value and understand that there is a weight in words and we need to be careful about the ones that we let come out of our mouth. Jesus raised the bar on murder. Do you remember that? When Jesus was saying, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm saying this to you. If you say to your brother, you fool, you idiot, you're in danger of the fire of hell. So, so it moved from a physical action of eye for an eye, and, and you know, if someone kills you, you can, well, you can't kill them, you're dead. But if someone kills someone, then you, know, you can have the revenge, and it must equal that. And he's saying, no, 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 
Your words are so powerful that if you say to someone, you idiot, I wish you were dead, you're in danger of the fire of hell. That's how powerful your words are. So Jesus also took this thing incredibly serious. The Bible tells us what to do when we are completely riled by someone. Here's a verse that's easy to read and really hard to do. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. On Friday, I started on the harsh word, and it started getting heated until I had to stop, turn around, and uh, I didn't give a gentle answer. I gave no answer. I felt like that would be more appropriate at the time. Um, But you know what? It, It calmed the situation, at least for me at that time. It helped me to cope and to walk through it and not, not to, to lose my witness and my integrity by fighting back um, with her. And that's an absolute truth right there. I think I, I have mentioned the story to you before, but it's an appropriate time, I think, to mention it again. And it's just that story of, uh, and it happened, um, this actually also took place in Cape Town, and I was coming into a, a, a one-way, and a taxi came out of the one-way, um, the wrong way. And... And I couldn't, you know, it very, very nearly hit me. And I stopped and I said, what the heck are you doing? And he said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know it was a one-way. And I was like, okay. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) It's cool. It's no problem. It's no problem. You know, I thought he was going to fight, but he didn't. He gave me a gentle answer. And I promise you, it like cut the fuse off, like at the bottom of the thing. Oh, I'm the bad guy. All right, it's cool. No, you know what? Go. Go twice. Come around again. You know what? You should. You should just come. It's fine. I'll wait here. Um, but it's amazing how a gentle answer can literally do that. It can defuse a very tense situation. And uh, it's an awesome thing, actually, when that happens. And it's a great thing when we can be the person to do that, is to give a gentle answer, um, a genuine and gentle answer. People's careless words are a poison. That's what he says. They're a poison that you drink, and you don't even know that it's doing damage until one day you wake up and you realize you don't believe in yourself. You wake up and you think, ah, what am I? Who am I? Where am I going? What's this? You know, that guy was right. What am I doing with my life? And that's what words are like. It's, it's not like, you're dead. It's like, Hup. and it just works at you slowly until you realize your confidence is gone. You don't understand certain things. Maybe they were right. Maybe I am a loser. I failed at a couple of things. Maybe I am a failure. I, I, I treated my kids like this. Maybe I'm a terrible dad. You know, that guy was right. I shouldn't have done that. And it's a slow poison, I find. Words can be like that. that just eat and corrode as you go along. But I think it's important that we don't see ourselves as better as if we're always the victim of harsh words. Because as much as we've all been damaged by what people have said to us, we've all done that as well. Definitely, in some way or another. But you know what the good news is? It's not only that we have done that, but haven't we all at some stage been been a part of the opposite of damaging words. Have you ever had someone come up to you and you haven't seen something in yourself and they said, man, you know what? In fact, I mean, Saki, your voice is good. You should sing more. Um, You don't sing a lot because there's loads of ladies all the time up here. 
And that's cool because we like the ladies and we like their voice, but your voice is a good voice. Um, and people can see something in you that sometimes you're not sure is there or not there, and, and they can bring something out of you. How? What are they using? It's just words. And you've been built up, and they said, hey, you've got something. You're good with animals. You've been hunting everything. <laughs> okay, you've been catching scorpions and snakes and everything from the age of one year old. You came out of the womb and you were hunting uh, scorpions and doing your thing. You know what, Ralph? This is a great thing. You, you've got a gift with animals. And you know what? Yeah, yeah, you know, I love animals. I love them. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you start to believe certain things about yourself. But it's words. They're true words, and they're genuine words, and they're sincere words, but they're words. But isn't it true that the words, just the words, when they hit you, can build you up to something that you never thought that you could do? It's incredible, the power of words. Because we all know how words can affect us negatively, we should make every effort to use them to build people up especially those that are close to us. You know, in those spheres of influence, you are closest to people. You are the closest person. You are the center of, that, of those spheres. And to use your words to build people up intentionally, that, that is what we need to be doing. I have a problem with funerals because I find that often that's the only time people feel free to say nice things about people. And um, I, I have a personal sort of a policy to tell people what I think about them while they're alive. Um, and it's, I don't always go into, into detail in that, but, but I like to hold that as a policy. If I like something about someone, I will try to tell them that thing. Um, because it's just so sad that everyone's got the nicest words to say when you can't hear them. Um, but tell people while they're alive the great things about them, the things that you see in them that have potential to go somewhere, the things in them that that are amazing, that are encouraging, that are uplifting. um, Those are the things. We must actively seek those things because I don't think it's in our nature to hunt out the good things in other people. It's in our nature to say, someone hunt out the good things in me and bring it out. I don't want to be that person, but I really want that done for me. But we need to be people that say, no, it doesn't matter. Because you've got something, and you've got something, and I want to build that. Fires. This is my third reference to Cape Town. Forgive me, it's just because I've been there uh, <laughs> recently. But but we had fires there quite recently. I don't know if you know that burned over Okops It was a massive. I actually wanted to look up how many square kilometers were uh, incinerated. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think the bottom line of those fires was human error. It wasn't like a, it was either a piece of glass or it was a cigarette or it was something or a little match that flew out of a window. And you just think the destruction that is caused by that is actually, it's unthinkable that one little is like animals dying, houses burning, um, whole places being, being burned to the ground. Uh, firefighters who are who are injured, who are taking in smoke inhalation, who are one. What? Who cares? That's it. And James uses that. And again, I just think yes, James, you had the you had the most brilliant images. It's a fire. It's just a little spark, but it can do the most incredible amount of damage. Gossip is like that. In a town this size, gossip. 
is something we've got to watch very carefully. I'm not accusing anyone in here of that. But I'm just saying we need to watch it. I think everywhere you need to watch it. I don't think just in a town. I just think that you hear about it more in a town this size. Um, but I think it happens exactly the same everywhere. But people, you know, that's a big thing. Because those little stompies of a rumor, that can, that can crush a person's high school career. Because everyone said that you were like this. Oh, you have to move. That's the only way to escape it. You can't change schools here, really. You've got to move out of the place. If you're labeled as this, sorry. If you're labeled as a, a womanizer, if you're labeled as a drinker, if you are labeled as a, well, but you know what it is. It's just someone throwing a few stompies. And it's devastating. So we need to be incredibly careful about that. One careless word and someone's reputation can be destroyed. One stupid rumor and a person's school life can become a nightmare. Watch who you speak to when things are bad. Speak to people you know you can trust. And realize that some people are just looking for the next juicy story to share. And keep away from them. This is what I hate. And this happens particularly in Christian circles. But this concern, these rumors, you know how they get around. They mask themselves as concern. I'm really worried about this guy. I've seen him with three different ladies at this coffee shop. I'm just so worried about him. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Have you seen him anywhere with any ladies? Are you also concerned? You know what I mean? Um, That's what it is. And then some Christians take it even further. I think we need to pray for this person. I just see them drinking all the time. And, um, oh, you're all listening. Well, anyway, now that you're all listening, I see this guy drinking all the time. I think we should pray for him. Uh, you know, and that's, that's not okay. That's insane. We can't be like that. And so we've got to be very careful about what we say. Proverbs 18.8 says this, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. They do damage to the core of the person they're about. We don't have to say everything we know. If it doesn't build, it's not worth saying. That's the bottom line. You can use that as your filter. If it doesn't build, it's not worth saying. So what do you do if you've got something negative to say? And let's be honest, we all do at times. What do you do? There's a lost art which you find from the psalmist David. And he just writes letters to God. And he tells God, when stuff's not right, and when he's being treated unjustly, and when things are coming against him, and he doesn't know how to handle them, all the difficulties that he could possibly face... He just goes to God. And he says, God, I'm struggling with this. Help me with this. God, what's happening here? I thought you were going to look after me, and here I am in the middle of a cave dying. What's the story? And he just goes to God. And it's a totally lost art because in today's culture, it's much easier to go to a person and to say, oh, I'm battling with this person. I'm battling with this. I'm battling with the situation. That's not a bad thing necessarily. As long as you're looking for constructive way out of the, the system, that's not a bad thing. But if we're just looking to talk about a bad thing and find friends who believe in that same thing, that's not helpful. Okay, you still with me? Okay, Uh, let's see if we can get something a little lighter. Next, ah, don't you feel fresher just looking at that? I do. James says now that our words are like a spring of water or a tree. Those are fantastic images again. Doesn't that just make you like, oh, I love nature, God's good, look at this, it's amazing, I just want to go... 
play around and prance in a stream right now. Both of these pictures represent life and they represent healing, which is what the tongue is capable of doing if it's used correctly. We need water to survive. How long can you live without water? They say about three days. There's a couple of people who have gone a little longer in in crisis situations. Um, But generally three days and you're dead. That's it. Water represents life. And there's other verses in the Bible that speak about the nourishment and the, and the, the life-giving properties of words. Proverbs 10 verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Haven't you been around people and they talk and you're just like, Wow, I just feel encouraged. I just feel lifted up. I feel like I'm fed right now just from having had a little conversation with you. I love this. There's another verse. And it's in the same part. And you need to understand, these Proverbs are written by the wisest. This is someone who had everything. And he had so much that he took years to just observe. That's what he did. Solomon, King Solomon. He just observed life. Because when you've got everything and you don't need to work for anything, well, what else is there to do? And so he would study as much as he could study and he would observe and he would look and he'd say, you know, I've noticed this and I've noticed that and I've seen this and I've seen that. And that's all he did. And God gave him a supernatural gift of wisdom because that's what he asked for. So this isn't some muhu who's like sprouting out some, some lovely sayings that we can put on the back of a, of a sugar pa- packet. This is like a seriously wise guy. And, he, and, and he's seen this over and over, that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And just later on in that same chapter, in 10 verse 21, the lips of the righteous nourish many. They nourish, they feed They sustain, they actually, the the lips of the righteous, he's not talking about the physical lips, he's talking about words there. They are nourishment. They feed you. Water gives life and refreshment to those that are thirsty. But if water is uncontrolled, if water is a tsunami, for example, tidal waves, well, that's different. Water has the potential to give life and refreshment. But if it's not used correctly, water can bring massive destruction. If we use our tongues in the right way, our words can be like a fountain of life to people. We need to be careful not to leave our mouths unguarded because we know that they are capable of damaging people too. Reckless words. This is again, same guy. Proverbs twelve eighteen. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that incredible? Like a tree bears fruit, our words should feed people and build them up. We need to be people that show the maturity of our love and relationship with God by the way that we speak to people and the way that we speak about people. So let's use our words for leading, building, and healing.